0: This is SFNet Presents In the Know with host Barry Bobro, sponsored by Hillco Global.
1: Welcome, everybody, to a very, very special edition of the In the Know podcast. I'm your host, Barry Bobrow. Very special guest today, Trevor Williams. I've seen Trevor numerous times speak, at him, so I'm very pleased to be able to have you today. And I, I, I don't know if I can do justice to your resume, so I'm going to let you explain. <laughs> uh, after, after Lloyd's for many years, what have you been doing?
0: Uh, yeah, so uh, I've been, I was chief economist at Lloyd's for a number of years and uh, managed teams of economists, market strategists, so... Um, did a lot of work with financial markets and clients and travelled the world representing the bank in economic issues. What I've been doing since leaving Lloyds is a bit of academic stuff, so uh, I, uh, I'm a visiting professor at a university in London and also lecture lecturer at another university in London, so I do that for a day and a half. The rest of the time I spend doing some consultancy work, events like this, speaking in Austin and, and other places. Um, And I'm also uh, co-founder of a business called FX Guard, which manages FX risk in SMEs. Interesting.
1: Well, you're you're living your better life doing exactly (laughs) what you want to do. And I should have mentioned, we're on the sidelines here of the SFNet Annual Convention. You're about to come on in a couple hours and, and do a whole presentation. So we're getting a sneak preview, although it'll be aired after you've already made your presentation. So um, because we have a, an international man of mystery here, you're a global <laughs> economist, uh, I really would like to start, if you if you don't mind, in Asia. Uh, and we'll work our way back to Europe and then finally to the United States. Sure. Let's, let's talk about Asia. I mean, big news in the last couple weeks. The, 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 the Chinese finally had their Congress. Xi has cemented himself as one of the most powerful leaders in, in the history of, of China, if not the most powerful. What do you see coming now that we're through that threshold? Do you, th- do you see that economic policies will change? Uh, there's been a lot of uh, always written about uh, the, the COVID zero policies and the impact on the global economy. What are you seeing there?
0: Yeah, so I think you've summarized it really well, Barry. Obviously, uh, Xi Jinping is now the most powerful leader since Mao Zedong. Um, the, the rules were changed in China to make sure that didn't happen again because it didn't end very well. Uh, under uh, that dictator Uh, so it's actually really bad news for China in my view long term the fact that a leader has been able to um, jump over the guardrails uh, and is effectively now president for life mm-hmm. um one man in charge of 1.3 billion people i just think is not a really good idea if you can't get rid of them human beings tend after they've been in power for a very long time you know the whole phrase uh, power corrupts absolute power right. corrupts absolutely right. Right. so i don't think it'll end well um but economically china is still growing um it's still it's part of the world economy um remember that uh, as you and i discussed offline that um this is partly the result of previous leaders, uh, Dan Xiaoping, uh, Nixon, uh, he uh, introduced uh, China into the world economy. Mm-hmm. He uh, gave them uh, America's blessing to be uh, part of the open trading system right. as China's sponsor. So lots of China's wealth uh, is a direct result of being part of the world economy, not being apart from it. So it isn't about China being able to dominate the world economy, it's about China taking its place in the world economy. But now you have an, an autocratic leader. Absolutely. And, uh,
1: do you, first of all, do you, do you think that this is a trend? Do you think that we, we see more of that? Or do you think that this will fall on the, on the pile of autocratic leaders who ruin their economy and, and, and make change?
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I think it will lead to ruin uh, for his country in the end. I think he's going to remove the drivers which has led China to be successful, success, which is um, liberalism, um, market, market opening, Uh, and the flexibility that the market economy has brought to China. He will uh, eventually erode those those advantages that China's got, but it may take some while. Uh, And actually, I think that the future maybe potentially is shown by what's happened with Russia, where a leader who's become absolute leader has led his country to a disastrous outcome. Um, I think there has been an erosion of liberal democracies over the last 20, 30 years. I think the lessons of the Second and First World Wars have been lost. Uh, Memories are fading Mm -hmm. about why you need liberal democracies. Uh, And there is a rise of autocracies in countries all over the world. Um, And I think that um, he's not alone in that trend. And as I said, it's partly because the lessons of why you need liberal democracies have been lost. People have become used to just the way things are thinking that it just happened uh, without Mm -hmm. all of the struggles which led to the global institutions that were set up to prevent war, to prevent strife, to raise living standards. Um, so I think that we're, we're so at risk you, of So your forecast that is
1: that the the policies being pursued in China in the short term and maybe in the longer term will will result in a in a in a different trajectory for the Chinese.
0: Yeah, economy. I think it'll, it'll it'll lead to a less successful China in the long term. Uh, I think short term the advantages that they've got have been uh, the world's manufacturing center, mm-hmm. the hub of so many key um, technologies and. Uh, key market for uh, the goods that many countries are exporting to them and make there mm-hmm. as well, by the way, mm-hmm. and export more cheaply to their own economies, making their own populations better off because they're getting goods cheaper, which means that they have more spending power uh, to purchase goods locally. Right. So everybody benefits from globalization. And, and, and that's and the, the, point. the
1: substitution, the, the ability to move out of that is, is it takes time, right? It, it's, it can't yeah, so work. they've
0: got these built-in um, advantages that he can... It can erode over time, but it will take time mm-hmm. for it to become evident. So uh, you mentioned this zero COVID policy, for example. The Sinovacs, you know, unproven, no independent researchers said how effective it is, which may be why they are still um, showing mm-hmm. as many outbreaks their, as they are. Uh, on the other hand, you know people are voting with their feet in China, aren't they? If if, if they feel that there's been an outbreak, people tend to flee the factories that mm-hmm. they're in, for example, leave the areas that they're in to get away from the lockdowns. And the lockdowns are damaging not just China, but they damage the world economy right. because it's right. interrupting uh, the recovery cycle and disrupting supply chains, which are which are so important at the moment. Well,
1: I, I think there was some optimism that once he got through the Congress and got the the, the third term, that he would then uh, move to. Uh, change the, the COVID policies would be because of the economic impact. Do you think that that happens anytime soon?
0: Well, I think the problem with, with being a, a dictator or, or at least, you know, a ruler for life is that you can't show signs of weakness because your internal opponents will take it maybe as a sign that you're losing your grip. So I, I think that they always struggle to change policies, right? You know, that, that's, the, that's the inflexibility in those kind of systems. So I think he will reluctantly move to it when he chooses the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, that he feels will show that he's doing something which is his decision, uh, not someone else's decision. Uh, and I don't know when that will be, yeah. but, but clearly um, lockdowns are just damaging both China's economy and and everybody else's every, as well. Everyone yeah. else as yeah. well that's involved in trade with China.
1: Okay, so let's from that hot spot, let's move uh, towards Europe. Let's talk about let's talk about the war. Uh, and, uh, and the impact that it's having, and I guess from an, you're the economist, I mean, let's talk <laughs> about energy and the impact that that's having yeah. on the European economy.
0: Yeah. So look, let's be clear about one thing. It's a war in Ukraine. So the war is taking place in Europe, mm-hmm. sure, but it isn't war across Europe. Um, it's, a, it's a war between uh, nuclear arm power, mm-hmm. uh, largest landmass in Europe, against the second one, the second largest landmass land in Europe, um, one is a big producer of energy, the other is a big producer of commodities which and fertilizers, which also goes around the world. Uh, and so it's led to huge global implications um, and it's, it's, it's pushed up um, food prices and energy prices and it's given the world an inflation surge. Um, and to that extent, of course, it's weakened growth. The nearer you are to it, the more dependent you are on uh, the energy mm-hmm. and the foodstuffs that are produced by Ukraine Um, then the more you're impacted by by so
1: so a lot of a lot of focus on was Europe able to fill its energy uh, reserves for the winter? Will it will it be too cold? Will it yeah. g- cause a yeah. blackouts and, and, and a cut in industrial production? What's your... Yeah, what's your forecast? I mean,
0: and those are great questions, Brad. So first of all, I'd say that um, obviously the big inflation surges damage recoveries uh, and it probably lead to re- recession in some countries um, because they've not only seen the higher prices, which is eroding incomes and pushing spending power lower, but it's also necessitated higher interest rates and a tighter Um, monetary policy stance, which will also weaken uh, activity and raise borrowing costs and and create problems across some sectors like housing, for example, um, and retailers and holidays and all of those things are going to be hit by this. So economies are going to weaken in Europe and some will be in recession. Germany is likely to be in recession, Italy in recession, UK in recession. Um, So we face recession because of of that uh, crisis and the effects of dealing with the crisis. now, to the extent that uh, energy security and uh, we've got enough to keep the lights on during the winter months, I think we have. I think deals have been struck with the U.S., for example, mm-hmm. to, to supply liquid It is remarkable how a
1: fungible energy turns out to be, that, that, you know, you've got portable liquid gas uh, terminals. Yeah, you freeze
0: Europe. it and then, yeah. you know, you unfreeze it yeah, and, yeah. you know, um, so you can, yeah. Uh, the storage facilities in Europe where they have storage f- facilities are full. We do produce, there is enough gas around the world, by the way. Um, so that's 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 part of the good mm-hmm. news you know but gas is also coming from you know from the Middle East right, and, and, right. and gas coming out of Angola as well so you know there's there's enough gas in the world um, so I don't think that the issue is really uh, about energy supply I think it's about the war creating interruptions mm-hmm. to money supply do right. do you, do you to, think that the um,
1: do you think that the I mean energy was was one of the weapons that Putin has used to try to get the it's a weapon of war. Economy Absolutely. To, to, to separate from each other do you think that that's been an effective weapon so far
0: Well it's it's been a gross failure isn't it? Um, Clearly I mean um, the uh, support for Ukraine has been unflinching um, particularly of course from the US who's been the largest supplier Mm -hmm. of the the ammunition and the arms and the and the intelligence which have helped Mm, Ukraine to prevail Um, but also of course from uh, from the other most of the other European countries you remember some are friendly to Russia Right. Uh, and they're less inclined to be negative towards it. Uh, you remember that, you know, there are some autocrats or autocrats or wannabe autocrats in Europe, too, as, as there are in other parts right. of the world, right. one, one has to say. Um, and so um, it's clear that um, Putin's strategies failed. Um, Ukraine won't be defeated in, in the war uh and he's damaged his own economy immensely as well as a mm-hmm. result of, of this so uh From it's a an example.
1: perspective too i mean do you see the the german uh, industrial complex has to diversify its its supply base right it, it, it takes a while to do that but you, you don't you don't think that they'll just say okay the war's over we'll we'll get back on t- no it
0: won't be business as usual with with putin in power in russia absolutely mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. i mean it can't be um so i think he's damaged russia's growth prospects, mm-hmm. but yeah, as a dictator, he doesn't really care about that. In a way, you know, he's almost turning into a bit like North Korea, sadly. Um, so, I, I mean, person, yeah, yeah I, sadly, uh, you know, good comparison. Yeah. Um, so uh, I think that um, Europe will be able to withstand the okay. disruptions that the but, war but has probably in a recession, but we're going to have some re- recession. You know, we're going to tighten policy anyway, because I think, you know, inflation was rising because we'd had monetary policy. Mm-hmm too loose for too long, too much quantitative easing, and so there were conditions for some inflation, but i certainly given that boost to inflation. Now, it seems to me, one of the things, by the way, that we have to be aware of, this is a supply-created inflation surge. So, as and when the war ends, and war ends, they always end, uh, negotiated settlement of some type, possibly, um, then uh, once supplies resume, and even on the anniversary of the rising, uh, mm-hmm. the, uh, the uh, cost of of fuel and food, it drops out the annual inflation comparisons. Annual inflation in many countries, including the US, but also around the world, is going to drop sharply, mm-hmm. probably by about half. So I think that this, this worry about inflation becoming embedded in long term, in my opinion, is simply, is simply wrong.
1: You're, you're actually forecasting a bit of a deflationary, uh, w- once the war ends and once we get past the immediate causes, we could have a deflationary cycle.
0: I think we're going to have a period, I think probably not deflation, I don't think we're going to have falling prices. I think we're going to have lower inflation, so prices will increase sharply at a sharply lower pace. Um, and then we still need to keep policy a bit tight to, to ensure that inflation is squeezed out of the system. So I don't think we're going to get immediate cuts in interest rates in the second half of next year. But I think that the policy debates and discussion will shift dramatically around about uh, Q2, uh, Q3 of 2023. Do, do you
1: have a, a feeling for how deep the recession, will, I mean, really from a European perspective, how deep yeah. of the a recession are we talking about?
0: Yeah, I think Europe's economy could contract by up to half a percent. Um, that sounds, with, that's not a lot. Yeah, well this is the point, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, look, this is, a sh- this is a shallow recession. This is not a deep recession. As I said, it's a supply-induced downturn and the policy response to that. So this isn't a demand shock. You know, this, isn't, this isn't a financial mm-hmm. crisis a la 2008-9. Mm-hmm. This is not what this is. This isn't a pandemic-type shock either. Right, right. So it won't be a pandemic-type thing. It won't be a 2008-9 thing. It won't even be a 1990-type thing. Uh, so I, I do think that we're going to have uh, a shallow recession in in in, in most countries, mm-hmm. but it'd be a couple of countries where it could be a bit deeper. That mm-hmm. I think it'd be a bit deeper in Italy, for example, mm-hmm. and it might be uh, a bit deeper than that in, in, in the UK as well. We could, you know. Yeah. We before we get to the US, let's let's something. go to
1: the UK and you know give us you know you had uh, three prime ministers in <laughs> less than a month. Uh, I guess you know Rishi Sunak is is now. Uh, now uh, firmly seated. It seems like we're not going to have a fourth uh, anytime soon. But what, what's, the, uh, what's your take on the, is the political system, before we get to the economics, is the political system functioning or not functioning? It's functioning
0: beautifully, yeah. right? You know, the leader of the uh, party with the most seats in parliament becomes prime minister. So the Conservative Party, which has the most seats uh, in the UK parliament mm-hmm. after an election uh, in 2019, she elected Boris Johnson. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he got ousted mm-hmm. uh, by his party, mm-hmm. so he's no longer leader of the party, so he can't be prime minister. Replaced by one person, mm-hmm. who then got ousted. I 38, thirty-eight, thirty-nine days what was later. The, what and was then, the, you know, we got a new U- one. Very long. Yeah, so thirty-eight. Trust. So shortest what was the ever.
1: mistake uh, that she made that led to a, such a quick
0: turn. Too much, too soon. She shocked markets with um, trying to. Um, Uh, kickstart the economy Mm -hmm. by cutting taxes um, without showing how she was going to fund those tax cuts. But she did what she said she was going to do. But she did what she said she was going to do, right? You know, she got voted in by the um, Conservative Party membership. Mm -hmm. She wasn't voted in by the MPs. There's two stages to the way the Conservative Party elects its leader. Uh, On one hand, they've got to have enough support from MPs to make it to a shortlist. And then that shortlist of uh, two is then... Uh, given to the party membership mm-hmm. of the Conservative Party and then they choose of those two who they want to become party leader. So Sunak actually had the support of most of the MP, mm-hmm. more support from MPs than Liz Truss, but she had most support from the party membership, mm-hmm. so she became PM.
1: So was it, a, was it a bad read on the impact of the economic policy? Because that's how she got in, she said what she was no, going she, to do. She,
0: well, you blame, the, blame the party membership of the Conservative okay. Party, 167,000 people, in a yeah. population of 67 so, million. So now <laughs>
1: Rishi Sunak comes in and uh, immediately uh, you have a, 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 dire, a change in trajectory, a change in direction of interest rates uh, uh, in, in the UK. And so, is are, are we in a better place, or does he have a huge? Well, I mean,
0: look, I think the central bank was was raising interest rates anyway, and um, I think that uh, Liz Truss's mistake was to surprise the markets with what she and her chancellor did. Um, she did do what she said she was going to do, but she actually did more than that. So mm-hmm. it wasn't, you know, hundred billion, a hundred and fifty billion on an energy price cap, which was which didn't have a limit to it, mm-hmm. didn't have an upside to it, didn't have an end date to it. Uh, effectively, uh, and then announcing s- surprise tax cuts to the markets as mm-hmm. well, that, that they did, weren't happy with that. So I Didn't think go well. it was strategic mistakes as well as mistakes with, with, uh, with, with, with the policies that mm-hmm. were being pushed so soon. Um, look, On the one hand, the UK has been caught in a slow growth trap and she wanted to change that um, by galvanizing growth. So the aim was laudable, mm-hmm. the execution was lamentable. So, I mean, I think that's, that's the way to, to, to think about it. Um, now, Sunak has come in and he's um, pleased the markets by uh, his new, the new chancellor, Jeremy Hunt, has uh, obviously um, rescinded right. most, right. if not all, not all, by the way, mm-hmm. but the vast majority of the tax changes that List Trust made. Um, she's kept bankers bonuses. <laughs> or, or Jeremy well, Hunt has kept bankers. Yeah, so the bankers should be happy, Don't you know, in London, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, foreign bankers yeah. who work there, you know, no cap on, on bonuses there. Um, so, so they've all been undone. The, the energy policy has been changed. It's time limited. Um, so, so bottom line, is the UK heading for,
1: it's in recession.
0: Yeah, we've, we've shrunk by about a quarter of a point in the last week. We're, gonna, we're probably going to have one anyway, mm-hmm. um, because we're tightening monetary policy. Um, and the headwinds for our economy weren't. weren't were we're quite severe and the energy crisis just tipped us over the edge so um we will have a recession probably around um up to about one percent next year as Mm -hmm. possible one and one to one and a half and then a bit less in uh in uh, 2024 and then growth returns in 2025 um so i think it'd be a shallow recession Mm -hmm. spread over maybe six to eight quarters it's funny i mean a shallow recession
1: actually sounds pretty good at this point, given some of the some of the the, the dialogue that's going. Yeah, out. we're not in a
0: doom loop, mm-hmm. you know. Interesting. Um, and I read in the press that UK is going to have the worst recession in history. I, I just think that's just you know. Um, taking a scenario Mm -hmm. and saying that that's the central view it's just it isn't Mm -hmm. the most likely outcome it's an extreme view Mm -hmm. of things everything went wrong and I don't think everything is Mm -hmm. going going to go wrong.
1: So let's let's take it over to the United States now so we'll we'll date the, the podcast but uh Yesterday we, we, saw, we got the CPI numbers, they were down for the first, it, we broke the trend yeah. and the markets yeah. went up a, a thousand points. 7% so are, are we willing to call the end of the inflationary cycle
0: <laughs> yet? No, I mean inflation will still be running well ahead of what the, where the Fed wants it to be. So they'll continue to tighten for, for a bit longer, um, but I don't think for much longer. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and the reason I, I think that is because monetary policy has got a long lag. Uh, so it takes two years for the full effects of a tightening or relaxation in monetary policy to fully impact the economy. So what they do now uh, will have an effect in the economy in 2024. Um, so they need to be wary of, of doing too much now mm-hmm. and the negative impacts it will have later on. And as I said earlier, this is a supply-side shock created by uh, the war uh, in Ukraine. Right. Uh, and so uh, to the extent that the supply-side shock recedes as I think it will next year then they shouldn't overdo what they do now. But the the US um, is, is
1: insulated from the the, the, the extreme energy shock absolutely. that Europe has because we have our own uh, So it's energy partly supply. insulated
0: anyway. Yeah. And it produces it actually benefits from our uh, global energy prices. That's right. Right? You know, it's right. selling right Europe, right now, they're selling Europe liquefied natural gas at vastly right. higher prices than than a year ago. You know, soya and wheat exports uh, probably up too because mm-hmm. you're not getting them from Ukraine, so you're getting them from, you know, mm-hmm. the, uh, US agribusinesses. So um, you know, it's not all bad news. I think obviously the reason why uh, rates have to tighten in the US is because inflation is higher. Mm-hmm. It was rising. It was partly because policy quantity of the easing was too aggressive uh, during the pandemic period and it should have tightened earlier, as should other central banks in the world. But, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if only I could use it to forecast. Yeah. I'd get it right all yeah, the exactly. time. <laughs>
1: be, yeah. But what, what seems so, makes it so challenging to forecast here is that we're we're talking about recession or potential recession in the United States with, with historic low unemployment. And so... You know, how, how do you how do you reconcile those two things?
0: Yeah, I mean, this is one of the interesting things that are going on in the world. So what we've been talking about really so far is some cyclical trends. Apart from when we're talking about dictators and how long they mm-hmm. may go on for this. So we talked about some structural things in the rise of autocracies and so forth. <clears throat> but I think that the the macroeconomics we've talked about, the higher inflation as a result of QE, the higher inflation as a result of uh, the war in Ukraine and the pushing up a feud. Those are, those are cyclical things. Mm-hmm. They'll They'll... they'll they'll begin to reconcile themselves over the coming 18 months. Mm-hmm. And, and I think inflation will come off and monetary policy would have been past its peak in that period. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's some long term stuff going on in the world as well. You know, demographic change is taking right. place. Some countries, the world population has gone peak, past peak aging uh, or peak um, population growth mm-hmm. and it's now beginning to age right um and so what you have is a, a rise in the number of people that are joining what we call the savings cohort right um and so that's on the one hand um which we'll, we'll, we'll talk maybe a, a bit yeah. about in a minute but to the point about um the numbers of people that an economy has some countries are short of workers because their population is aging and their economy is growing mm-hmm. fast enough to use up all of the talents that Japan, they have within.
1: Uh, would be a good example. Great but, example. Yeah.
0: Fastest aging economy. Germany aging mm-hmm. fast. Many Eastern European countries aging fast, including Hungary, for example, right, which right. is the most anti-foreigner country that you've got in Europe, um, which is a paradox when they, they, they're going to need people and so they're going to have to accept does their economy shrink or, or do they change the do Well, that's what I'm trying position, to go. I mean, right? do we, ha- we have a chronic
1: labor shortage in the United States? Yeah,
0: and, and that's, that's how with the with the migration policy, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. something we'll have to give at some point. You know, and the politics—I presume—you'll we'll have to give up. You, you accept lower growth and higher pay, but um, and the two-to-one ratio that there is between jobs and 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 uh, people looking for jobs mm-hmm. that there is in the U.S. Right? It's a great, great example of it this. Seems right? unsustainable. Well, well, you yeah. Well, you'd have thought you'd have thought that either employ employers get governments to change their minds and let them have the workers they want mm-hmm. at the wages they can afford, or government says no, you're never going to get that. So. Either you, you start to cut back on um, production and let the economy grow more slowly and create less wealth and less tax revenue mm-hmm. and lower living standards. You know, would a government really, I mean, which government can stay in power when they're they're not, they're not helping living standards rise, they're they're lowering it. A government
1: that that for all good and valid reasons can't formulate an immigration policy.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, so the U.S. needs people. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not the only one though, Mm -hmm. as I said, you know, lots of European countries need people too. So um, this is the interesting uh, dichotomy that we have at the moment and the challenge that that Mm -hmm. we have. Interesting. Uh, And and so that is driving uh, the demand for labor, this, this aging population around many key economies in the world. Uh, and I think that's a good thing for workers, it means high pay, but it also demands more training on skills mm-hmm. um, and, and opportunities for people to uh, move up the value chain in terms of, kind of the kind of work that they do. Um, and also, as I said, because uh, it means that there's more savings around, there's actually more money available mm-hmm. for investing in kind of new technology and meeting the challenge of climate change and so forth. So the, the aging, population that we have around the world and more acute in some countries, mm-hmm. such as the ones you've mentioned, Barry, I think um, means some big structural change is coming, mm-hmm. even with the cyclical factors that we've discussed. Structural
1: change to, to, to immigration policy, to productivity. You've got to become more productive. Mm-hmm. So
0: the only way, if you've got vacancies mm-hmm. and you don't feel the vacancies, that means there's an opportunity foregone mm-hmm. to become more productive. To more output to raise living standards. You've given that up, so to realise the growth opportunities that there are, you have to employ the people necessary to drive it.
1: So to summarise, or invest we, in machinery. Got, and you're 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 one of the most optimistic economic views. Really? That I've that Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. uh, maybe we should close on a, a on a positive uh, point. But it, I, I think you I think your point is that things are actually a lot better than what you might get out of the papers.
0: Absolutely. So one of the things I've done is to, to take those those things that we've talked about, you know, openness of the global economy, pace of technological change, the opportunities that it, that it implies to grow productivity and do things smarter across agriculture, mm-hmm. manufacturing, financial services, meeting the challenges of climate change, which offers opportunities mm-hmm. themselves for profit growth for those who meet the challenges that we've got. Um, and, you know, I've just said, look, what would, GDP growth at world level be like over the next 10 years, if we grow even less fast than we have in the previous 10 mm. years. So let's say we grow at 3% per annum or something until 2031. It means there's a 33 trillion increase in global GDP, wow. not 33 billion, 33 trillion. So I mean, I don't think that we're, we're at the end of the expansion in global wealth. I,
1: I think we're going to end on that point because I, I, I love ending on a positive <laughs> note. but I, it's it's good to think about long term trend. You know, get don't get lost in the in the in the day to day news. Absolutely. Think about the big the big picture. Absolutely, and we have enough yeah. food to feed the world, and we have enough yeah. energy to to keep the yeah. lights on everywhere. It's yeah. a question of how we yeah how we.
0: Although one wit did say to me, oh, the long run is all very well, Trevor, but you know, it's all. It's all short-run cycles, isn't it? <laughs> that's, that's true, so, too. So that's true, too. Absolutely. Trevor, thanks so much for joining us on, so the, a uh, on
1: the, the In The Know podcast. And I uh, look forward to seeing you soon. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time.